are back to the third place. It's where this is episode 25. We're really into this one so far and we're still going strong. We're still going strong, but I'm here to talk about two of my all-time favorite games. And I'm here with a special guest uh, and his name is Coffee Greg from Instagram. How are you doing, Greg? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I should thank you because if I remember correctly, you asked to be on. You're the second person who asked to be on the show. And I said, you know, that's fine. That makes my life easier. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, you you and Ryan are the two brave souls to say, put me on the show. And I'm, I'm like, cool. That takes a load off my shoulders. Um, <laughs> I was so nervous to ask. I was like, what are my qualifications? <laughs> Just decades of being a closeted gamer <laughs> listen if you if you played you know i would say 10 games in your life i'm cool with it like <laughs> if you if you this is an open audition to listeners of the show if you feel passionate about a game and you can tell me why you want to talk about a game you you're allowed on i <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> i've probably played your favorite game and at the very least, I would like to replay it. Or if it's a game I've never played, hey, means another thing I can play. Um, but I am very grateful to have you on. And now is the time I must ask you, because it's the recurring trend of this season, is what is Greg's gaming history? Where does it begin? Yeah, uh, let's see. So my dad had an NES growing up. So I played Duck Hunt, mm-hmm. Zelda, you know, the Super Mario, Super Mario Bros. 2 um, early on, and that kind of set my gaming addiction in place. Mm-hmm. And we got a Nintendo 64, so my uh-huh. sister and I played the shit out of Super Mario, Mario Kart, Super Smash Bros. Super Smash Bros. was probably one of, probably the first game that was like, it was like being on drugs playing that, <laughs> trying to trying to lure the neighbor kids over to play with me and then just kicking their ass. <laughs> And uh, I was super competitive, so I really wanted to win every time. Well, who was your main back on the N64? Ness. Uh, that's fair. And, yeah. and now yeah. it's Lucas, uh, typically. I mean, hey, it's just, it more or less they're the same character. So, I, you know, I don't... I would say, because I got into Smash on Melee, and my one of my brothers and I got into very heated battles with each other. Most of the time, he would beat me. Uh, because he would like pick a spammy character mm-hmm. and just like get into a corner. Like I remember battles on Hyrule Castle and he would just get into the underground area and just wait for me. And I was, you know, I was a dumb kid. I didn't know better. Um, but yeah, no, I, yeah, Smash Brothers is a drug. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I was a pretty sore loser. My parents actually like stopped playing board games with me at a pretty young age because I would get <laughs> so upset when they would smoke me. Um, uh, then I put, when we got a family computer, my sister and I would play The Sims. Oh, we yes. Take turns playing our different characters. And then I remember she got so pissed at me because I made her character marry my character and like move her into my house and she was like greg i was like incest <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know our characters were named after our real life selves yeah so, uh, and then i got addicted to um world of warcraft and minecraft somewhere along those years mm-hmm. and uh luckily i only played wow for like a year and a half <laughs> and thank god 
Yeah, you um, saved yourself. I did, yeah. But Minecraft, I I I keep going back to it almost every year. I'll have a two week period where I just binge yes. it and I play it every night for five hours, and then I have to like take a step back and uninstall it for a while. That that that's literally me. Where <laughs> I I think I've said it before. Where it's like every year I'll just be like, huh, Minecraft time. I'll boot it up. Be the like just insanely obsessed with it basically starting from zero like scratch doing everything getting mm -hmm. to like there, there's a point in when people do their minecraft binging where they get to a point and they feel within inside themselves like okay that's that's enough for this year and, yeah. and then they just step away mm -hmm. unless exactly. you're unless you're a kid then you play it obsessively like my nephews i'm always like i'm always telling people like uh if you have a kid who you need to digitally babysit i'm the weirdo who will I, like i'll play minecraft with your you know i can't wait until my niece is old enough to play mm -hmm. uh, i'll uh, play that with her yeah i've i've been dubbed you know the fun uncle which basically means i play the games that my 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 nephews like and my nieces so it's always like you know time to crack the knuckles all right time to like show show off to these like children mm -hmm. how you know 20 <laughs> 20 years of experience yep. like uh uh showing off stuff that i thought was cool too mm -hmm. like you know you want to i remember getting my nephews one of the pokemon games and they were just like not interested in as i was when i got sapphire for the first time and they just didn't comprehend it like which made me sad too they were just like we want to play minecraft or fortnite or mario kart which you know whatever yeah they're young enough where it's like that's all they care about at least when they play mario kart i just like school their asses so uh you know that that's my uh yearly like uh showing off like how good of how good i am at this at these things i had a thing with my i have younger brothers who are about 10 years younger than me and uh, -huh. uh i had a thing where whenever i'd go back home from college or whatever and visit i would play whatever the newest like call of duty or battlefield or whatever it was that they were playing at the time and even though i wasn't practiced at that specific game i would just continue to smoke them <laughs> and it was so satisfying is like like to really be an older brother you need to be able to destroy your younger siblings yeah. at the game it's they, a right it's a rite of passage yeah for sure which i never got because i'm the youngest of my family so my nieces and nephews are sort of like that pot like that experience for me i i personally when because you know my nephews are like one of my nephews he's almost like tw he's almost 13 so he's gonna get into call of duty very soon so which means i'm gonna have to get back into call of duty soon yep. uh and i mean <laughs> i mean if i can relive the glory days of modern warfare 2 era me then mm. like that'll be it be like i'm sure they'll think i'm the coolest so yeah yeah um sorry okay, so Oh, you're good. Um, so let's see. After the Nintendo era, um, I wanted it. My sister and I really wanted a PlayStation because they had the Dragon Ball Z games on there. Mm -hmm. But we there was a mix up, and our grandparents got us an Xbox for Christmas, and we were so <laughs> pissed. But that started my Xbox era. So I was like 
Halo 2, Jet Set Radio Future, Fable, Star Wars Battlefront, uh, and importantly, Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the classics. I mean, the OG Xbox had so many unsung here like fantastic games like you know jet say radio future for me i mean that one is such a beloved classic that... bizarre and so fun and do you remember yeah. fusion frenzy uh yes i do remember that one there weren't a ton of really good like local multiplayer uh plot like couch co-op kind of games that anybody beginner level could just pick up right away and that mm-hmm. was one of them that no matter the level of gamer, somebody could just pick it up. Yeah, it, the the Xbox, and I would also put the GameCube in this this field because they both were four four port controller systems, so they still had that like old bygone era of like getting a group of friends together to play some some form of game of multi multiplayer at someone's house. I mean. Xbox was definitely for like, you know, high schoolers, college boy, you know, college guys. And, you know, and the GameCube was definitely on the on the younger children's side. And I always respect Microsoft's like dedication to that. I mean, Halo, obviously, Mm -hmm. Halo is the multiplayer game of the Xbox, Halo one and two. I mean, the stories that my brothers told me when he was in college, you know, getting to college right when Halo came out, like in just sort of the clear battle scars and battle stories that he went through to like when I played against him for the first time in Halo 3. And I was like playing against a pro player, basically. <laughs> like those are, you know, you had you had to assert your dominance back then on the Xbox ah. days. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I lost so many brain cells screaming, <laughs> screaming and keeping myself from throwing the controller, just being destroyed online. Uh, I mean, God, I mean, Xbox Live 2 was such a defining moment, too. I mean, it was more or less the next evolution from SegaNet on the Dreamcast. Um, but yeah, Xbox Live in the sort of 2000s period, that was such a you had to be there type experiences mm-hmm. to understand how special that was. Definitely. I, I mean, there's a video I once saw where he's just like, this guy was saying, like, I was like a 10 year old on Halo 2 and just calling this like guy, you know, a poopy face. And then he's just calling me the N word. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that, that was Xbox. When I, when was I was Xbox. in my th- Xbox 360 era, um, I was playing Reach and Call of Duty, and uh, I took a. I remember on, on Call of Duty, I joined this little clan for probably probably only a few months. It was like a little gay gamer clan, and we all put our our icons as as like the rainbow background and the <laughs> unicorn or whatever. And so we would we would volunteer ourselves to basically get harassed online like, are you gay and uh, i took a i can't i don't know if i thought of this or if i heard it some, from somewhere but i would um i would be like aggressively submissive and, to them and so when they would call me gay and a fag and whatever i'd be like oh yeah oh yeah am i gonna am i gonna suck you off 
Am I gonna kiss you? Am I gonna kiss you? Oh yeah. Are you? Are we gonna fall in love? Oh yeah. <laughs> and they would they would mute. Yeah. The, <laughs> or just leave the game. I'd yeah. be like, oh yeah, your dad's gonna fall in love with me, and your mom's gonna be jealous because I'm gonna be dating your dad. <laughs> it was so great because they yeah. could beat any insult they could throw at me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's gay chicken of Xbox Live uh, yeah. experiences. I mean, it was either that or if it was like Call of Duty Black Ops you would make your custom profile picture a dick like <laughs> yeah 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 which you know <laughs> back in the day you could do you you know this was before they stopped you know saying you couldn't do that mm-hmm. but <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's, there's so many so good there's so many wild experiences that you especially in the 360 ps3 era where they hadn't controlled that environment as they do mm-hmm. now where they patrol it more. There's so many just wild experiences that like apparently people were jacking off and oh yeah Uno, playing Uno on video chat or whatever. Oh yeah. No, I've heard those stories. I I didn't do it. I mean maybe no, I, I, I missed out apparent I missed out apparently. Yeah. Um but I mean the the sort of everyone says like yeah we were you know they're throwing racial slurs at each other and all that stuff. It's like yeah that was true. And it made you a better person to be like, <laughs> to be like battle, you know, battle tested as like a, t- a young teenager, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, all you had back in the day was a mute button. There wasn't yep. like rep- reporting existed, but no one used it. Nobody reported each other. Yep. You That's only, you, you, you only reported someone if they were cheating. Yep. Like that was the only time you would ever like say, okay, I'm opening the report page. Uh, no one cared if you were like calling each other the N word. No one cared if you were calling each other a fag. No yep. one cared. You know, you would have people going on there like with their mom screaming at you, like to get off the system. Or like for me being on the PS3, and for whatever reason, the PS3 always had Mexican families just like uh, like banging pots in the background. Like that was a that was a defining auditory moment yeah. for me just be like with with those old little bluetooth wireless earpieces mm-hmm. for your mic and oh, just like yeah. having that like being screamed into your ear uh yep. it, as i've said before kids don't kids these days don't know they don't know what it was like they don't get it and i i uh last year when halo infinite came out i was so excited and i played the shit out of that i was uh um i there, there was a, a like a month or two period where I was unemployed and I was just playing that every day. And it was so sad because it was silent, dead silent. Almost nobody had their microphones on and it was, mm-hmm. it was a free game, you know? So yeah, um, it was sad. I was like, man, Halo. There, in fact, there was some article written called like the silence of Halo infinite <laughs> about that, that I thought was just so interesting because you're really missing out a lot when you don't hear the like ambient noise of somebody's, Clearly, like the Xbox that's in the living room, yeah, and they can't escape their 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 mother yelling at them. Yeah, it, dinner's ready. There is a very nostalgic audio experience. To, like, heck, even even the there is a thing, and I'm sure people know what I mean when I'm saying this, but there is like the sound of someone's voice on an online party or in a voice chat out like on xbox like there's a sound to that like how they how they spoke how how they sounded 
and how they how they would even put on a character like they would sound tough they would sound aggressive or whatever you know that's all been eliminated as like you know microphones have gotten better drivers have gotten better you know i remember like how like on those in those days it was just like a muffled approximation of like someone's voice mm -hmm. and yeah it's just i i i i will talk about halo like that, that is something i have to talk about especially considering how much the modern halo games have just been massive disappointments mm -hmm. not, oh, not yeah. i stopped playing after reach i don't think i've played I, t I stopped after reach and then i don't think i played through a single one until infinite yeah i people i've heard they put up with four they're just I like and, yeah i i i know a lot of diehards were like four is bad but i heard the general thing is like okay this is their first attempt maybe the next one will be better and then five was just like people drew the line in the sand it was like that sucked and then infinite was also like a bumbled mess and it's just like yeah the way the halo franchise has been treated post bungie leaving yeah. it's honestly been sad i mean especially knowing yeah. the prestige and cultural moment that halo was from 2001 to 2010 like like halo was a game that my parents knew about and my parents are like early boomers basically you know they knew halo because of one of my brothers and because of me they're just like oh yeah they're playing halo like that was just like it was kind of like when your parents say oh yeah do you want to get a nintendo like when they when you're talking about like a playstation oh you want your nintendo mm -hmm. like it was just that thing it's halo was the first mature rated game i wanted to buy mm -hmm. and i remember my mom went in to buy it and uh <laughs> apparently the sales associate he was such a dick my mom was like why is it well i understand it says it has blood and uh he's like well you're mostly shooting aliens it's like blue blood and my mom's like oh okay that's that's fine and then he goes but you, but you can shoot the humans too and he turns around and does like friendly fire and shoots this guy in the head and red blood comes out and my mom's like no we're not buying this i'm like mom i'm not gonna kill the humans i'm gonna kill the aliens and save the human humanity <laughs> like i'm gonna be the hero of the galaxy mom i'm not gonna be doing friendly fire who do you think i am but yeah <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't let me get it so i had to like wait until a friend gave me his copy later in secret <laughs> that, that is such it's like betrayed thing. by this fucking college student who worked at the oh yeah store. yeah <laughs> the dickhead dickhead game store employees i mean that's how i convinced my mom to get me twisted metal black i was just like oh yeah there's blood in it but i can skip the scenes with the blood in it don't worry about it <laughs> you know, it's about just it. blowing up cars don't worry yeah. it's all fake and you know if you've played twisted metal black you know what's in that game and of course yeah. me being like a 13 year old i wanted to see it um but yeah i i that's such a i love your game history it's a very it's a very wide one i love when people start from like all the way back in the nes era just because yeah. that's an era that's bygone and i want to eventually I still get have to... the nes i still oh. have it i don't have a crt monitor it's it's back home in a in a basement but um yeah nice. got that. actually and i actually i switched from xbox to playstation in the playstation 4 
Right? Mm-hmm. So I went from 360 to PS4. So I do kind of have, and, and I got a Switch at some point, but I went from N64 all the way to the Switch and I didn't have any of the consoles between. So um, now I'm a, now I'm more of a PC gamer and I've got a, a I built a gaming PC during COVID and got mm-hmm. the Valve Index mm-hmm. and uh, just so I can play Alex. Yeah, <laughs> fair. Yeah. I was like, I want to build a rig that's capable of playing Alex on high yeah. graphics. <laughs> Eye-melting graphics settings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, God, I, I'm going to have to do that too for this this piece of shit. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a piece of shit. It's graphics card is aging. Mm-hmm. I have a 1060 in there and that's pushing it now, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, one. I want to make sure I always have one of these for like emulation purposes or um yeah mostly emulation but also for games you know just recently like hi-fi rush because i don't have an xbox but it's on pc so you know um but yeah i think this is a good time to transition to the first part of this is because portal the portal franchise is kind of an outlier in the sort of mainstream game i mean it's a puzzle game it's a comedic game so i guess i wanted to kind of briefly touch upon those aspects of it like puzzle games are a very unique thing in games because puzzle games have always ambiently been there and puzzle games are also a genre that they are soul-sucking and they can just like take you in and never let you go um, I mean, for one, obviously, like games like Tetris have endured the t- you know the uh, time itself. Like Tetris can come out like the same form every single year, and people will eat that crap up, you know. Mm-hmm. And also because Portal is also a game, a comedic game too. Like that also makes it stand out because a lot of games don't build themselves in a more comedic way i wouldn't i mean portal's not it's not like with a billboard saying haha funny game it's you know but people know that portal has like an edge of comedy to it and you know you yourself as a stand-up uh comedian i was i mean this is kind of a great way for you to sort of weigh on it i mean do you think comedy in games how how do you feel about when games try that try comedy when they do it do you have you seen other games that have good humor i I will talk about one or two games that i think pull it off and probably a few more that don't pull it off i get so frustrated when games try to be funny and it's clearly like they clearly did not have a single actual comedian or talented writer on the crew they just like had their dudes i guess Mm -hmm. try to be funny like uh borderlands i think is a good example where they i remember the first game maybe having a few moments that i thought were kind of funny and goofy but um for the most part those games almost every i mean the the thing that made me laugh the hardest was just like one mission i think in borderlands 2 where they they were like oh it's a new species of monster we don't have a name for it yet but i was thinking of calling it boner fart and I, it was just like such a dumb joke that it made me laugh. But typically, typically these games try it and it just doesn't work if it seems forced or mass produced. Yeah, Especially it's... the bigger the game studio, the, the mm-hmm. worse they usually are at injecting humor. I think the problem with games when they try to be funny 
is they, I mean, it, it kind of falls into this sort of thing of games are, especially nowadays, where games are the biggest entertainment medium. You know, they're raking in more money than movies or TV shows or music. They have to present a comedic, like, spread that is, like, digestible to the mass consumer. And so it has no vision or sort of point of view, or it doesn't understand in a way that it's a game. You know, it's all about like just telling the funny joke and Mm -hmm. hoping that, you know, hoping that that joke lands, like, because it's the writers thought it was funny. You know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but like portal for me, I think works because it's, the sort of humor about it is very understanding that it's a game. Like you, you, you progress through the game and you start to understand its rules and logic and sort of the veneer of it all starts to crumble Mm -hmm. and you sort of see like that sort of dark edge to it. I mean, with portal having this very, you know, you know, GLaDOS is, or GLaDOS, I don't know how you pronounce it properly, but GLaDOS her whole demeanor is a very dry comedic energy to it that like once you keep going you start to see that aspect of her you know you see the truth of it all you get you just be like wow okay this is like funny but it's also kind of like oh this is kind of creeping me out sort of thing um i'm trying to think of like a game like hi-fi rush if i were to use a a modern game that game is flat out trying to be funny Mm. it has played that yet oh it i will say hi-fi rush is one of the best games i played in recent memory oh wow it's i and i speak that with 100 conviction it's one of the best games i've played recently it's already like a quote-unquote game of the year candidate at 30 bucks uh, and it's an action rhythm game, but it, it it does not take itself seriously whatsoever. Like it, it constantly addresses it that it the characters kind of know that they're in a game, they're in a very silly situation. Mm-hmm. They reference things that are very deep cuts, like they reference Xenogears of mm. all things. And they reference a specific thing about Xenogears in the second disc where like it has a slideshow explaining what they're going to do. And in Hi-Fi Rush, they do it basically the same thing where it's just like, yeah, here's this plan I'm going to do. It's so stupid. And then it just cuts to like the end of this mission. It's just like, wow, that was the most amazing thing. I'm never going to talk about it again. And you just don't get to see it. And it's hi-fi rush is like in on the joke and sure sometimes like some of its jokes are like i guess you could consider eye rolly like oh hey here's a pun like and the character one of the characters is like oh like that was a bad pun sort of thing but then like randomly it will like just have like one of the characters who's a robot draws on facial expressions because drawing on facial expressions makes it more people like respond better to him. So he'll just like turn around with like anime eyes or he'll turn around with sunglasses to look cool. 
like there's they they kind of like just throw everything at the wall and i love that sort of tone and joyous energy it has to it um yeah i think you really need to care about the characters in the world and mm -hmm. be some sort somewhat invested in order for it to to really feel uh like worth laughing at i i'm gonna reference i think one of the funniest games for me as a, as a young and um i'll be surprised if you played it because i think it was an xbox exclusive uh in 2003 a game came out called armed and dangerous have you played it i've heard of it but i have not it's really aged now but um hmm. it was uh it was the most fun game god how old was i um uh i was i was probably like 12 or 13 when i played this game um it was pretty pretty crude graphics it was a shooter a third person over the shoulder and it was um <clears throat> it was about this ragtag group of thieves that were going to steal this magical book set in a fantasy fantasy land with guns but um it was like the developers really didn't give a shit about anything other than making these three dudes you're playing with fun and lovable and uh they wanted everything to be fun so you had all these fun weapons like a shark gun that shot out land sharks and then the shark fin would go towards enemies and come up and mm -hmm. eat them and as a 12 year old i was like that's the coolest and funniest <laughs> thing ever they had yeah. another uh, a, a device that was just a giant corkscrew and your mm -hmm. character screwed it into the ground and then your entire game flipped upside down so you're <laughs> you're hanging onto the corkscrew while all the enemies fly into the air and then when it flips the worlds back down they all come down and smash into the ground uh that was funny and you hear yeah. them scream in, as they fall um another funny thing they would do is uh all the enemies would have these voice lines and th there's this joke that I, I still reference occasionally to this day, and nobody has ever known what I was talking about. These these like grunts or these orcs, or whatever. They'd be like, "When I'm done killing you, you'll be wishing you were dead." Like, they're so stupid. Yeah, yeah. It. I think games are so unique in the fact that they are a controllable environment per mm -hmm. se. That when when a game does that, like they address that fact through gameplay too that's also a great moment to be funny like it's interesting like i'm sure maybe you've played it or you obviously have heard like ratchet and clank ratchet and clank is yeah. a fun fun game because those what the weapons you have are like absurd and grant and if granted it fits in sort of the sort of style and uh goals that they want to get with that mm -hmm. sort of game which more or less is like an animated movie they're trying to uh, capture that energy to it but like they'll have a gun in that game where it's like it just make or no they they have a gun that just makes everyone start dancing and mm -hmm. that's the whole point of it or god i'm sure there's so many weapons in that franchise and they're all unique but that's it that's like the one i think of on my top of my head when games address the fact that they maybe not addressed directly but like the mechanics are almost aware of the fact that they're a game yeah it, it should be fun and mm -hmm. like bioshock was a revelation for me because just the shooting somebody with lightning hands and having having them actually respond accordingly be like mm -hmm. you know having the proper reactions yeah. you thought like wow there's real physics and i buy into this and it's mm -hmm. fun yeah and you see 
you see how like older games approach like the sort of humorous tone or trying to have a humorous edge to it. And then you look at something today, I'm going to bring it up because I hate this game, even though, you know, Forspoken, where its definition of humor is like swearing and Mm. uh, like, God, like the one scene I always think about because it was passed on Twitter, like all over my timeline. It's like the one girl, she just like kills an enemy. And she's like, I just shot that. I just killed that guy with my mind i just killed that guy with my mind and it's just like god put like i literally just prep the noose sort of thing i'll be honest Uh, when i saw the trailer for forespoken i i've had a and i've had a pretty good radar for this historically i thought there's no way this game's gonna be good uh i just i just thought it looked it just didn't look like there was enough in the trailers and so i i never I never played it. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm refusing to play it too. It, it's, it looks legitimately awful. I mean, I I had a good. oh no, yeah, but I also had a sneaking suspicion that it wasn't going to be good because it was made by a team that was in charge of Final Fantasy 15, which is by the mo- my one of my most hated games of all time. Mm. And so I was just like. Mm, they're probably not going to do good. And then the first trailer came out with like the character talking and then I'm like, Oh, this is going to be horrible. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And then I remember specifically when the demo of it came out and there was a setting in the game saying about making the characters talk less. I'm like, even you understood that the characters were obnoxious (laughs) pieces of shit. And like, you know, you look at something like Portal or Portal 2, where you have characters who do talk a lot, like Wheatley talks incessantly through the game, and it's, you know, it's Stephen Merchant who, you know, it's that sort of British humor where he's stammering and talking and going in circles with himself, and so, you know, that doesn't get ear grading to me. You know, even even if people want to sort of label parts of Portal Two as Reddit, I don't care. Portal Two is not Reddit, as some people will claim, um, because Portal Portal, you know, understands that it's a game. Portal progresses the sort of build up into its humorous moments because it it knows it's a game, and it's also just plain written well, like. There's so many great moments throughout the entire experience. I mean, that's hell. That's why people for the longest time would quote these portal and portal Two. they would quote all this stuff because it was so good. so well-written and I guess in a way, because it's, you know, I guess you know, to tie in the puzzle thing, like puzzle games have this very magnetic pull where they can get you in so well. And mm-hmm. I think Portal, it's like the Reese's moment where it's like, I have my comedy and I have my puzzle game. They're two completely different <laughs> worlds. And somehow when they meet, they like kind of create a perfect harmony moment. Yeah, there's something about a puzzle. Well, I guess I'm probably jumping ahead too much to talk too much about Portal specifically. Oh, yeah. Just to yeah. wrap up on the humor subject, um, I wanted to reference a... a robot characters from this game armed and dangerous which is kind of in the theme of glados um that there's a there was this really great 
trio of characters in Armed and Dangerous. You you meet uh you come into this town where these uh, villages are like, oh yeah, the king's army is going to come and murder us, and uh, maybe you guys can help us. These these guys seem like they're they're not going to defend themselves, so they've kind of admitted to their mm-hmm. fate. So the the leader of your group, he's like, well, uh, what defenses do you have? Do you got any um you know whatever? They're like, we have these these robots that do our gardening, and mm-hmm. so he's like uh. All right, robots. Uh, how are we going to defend the group? Uh, how are we going to defend this town? And the robots look at each other. They've got their their gardening gear on, and they go, "Ah, we have conferred. We can <laughs> we can plant a hedgerow with some myrtle and maybe some geraniums." <laughs> and uh, so he, so the little guy in the group, he he wanders forward, and he's like, "Oh, give me a second, and I'll try to reprogram the robot." And the access panel is in like the robot's crotch. And <laughs> the, the robot looks down and he goes, ah, we are not programmed for this kind of inter. And then suddenly it, it, they change to these soldiers. And they're like, all right, soldiers, man up, we're going to defend. So he, he reprograms these robots and they become a recurring character. And later on in the game, um, you're on a battlefield and these three robots, the gardening robots, um, there's like a boy on this battlefield and your guy is like, we got to save that child. <laughs> and so the, ro- the robots run out to, to save him. And then they run past the kid and there's a flower right in front of the kid. And they scoop up the flower and run back. Cause they're, they're still gardening robots, but they're <laughs> war wartime gardening robots. So they, they, they run and they, they replant the flower off the battlefield. And then they're arguing over how, where, how it's going to get the, the most light. Yeah, I just think that that was such a brilliant example of like they set up a rule, they they set up something true in the universe. They said if this is true, what else is true? It's like the basic comedy, um, basic improv rules. Like if this is true, what else is true? What else is true? What else is true? And uh, hit that punchline again and again and again, which is something Portal continues to do, setting up, you know, what uh, Glados is. Her, her disposition the way she constantly makes fun of your weight um, <laughs> which we'll talk about but um yeah you just have to you have to make people believe and then keep hitting that those rules again and again mm-hmm. yeah it and that's something that valve you know glory years valve is that they could get you into the world itself mm-hmm. like flawlessly you know half-life half-life 2 Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead 2, heck, even multiplayer experiences, they can sell you on the experience and already hook you in pretty much like right off the bat. Like, mm-hmm. And there's no sort of detachment from the experience. And I think that's why it all hits so well. And you see other games where they struggle with the sort of finer balance or trying to just like get you on board. You know, when a good game does, you know, can get you on board from beat one, then it's just like you, you, you're, you're along for the ride, and it doesn't matter, sort of thing. And totally. I think Portal one and two are just glittering examples of just like one from the moment you press start, you are sold on everything that this has to offer. And you know, <laughs> I, I really do think. Um, I guess to wrap up the whole thing, I mean, when people experience something humorous, I think it lasts with them. You know, games Mm -hmm. are such a little sandbox experience when it comes to 
many emotions. I mean, we were talking before we started recording, we were talking about last of us, like last of us, obviously not humorous, but uh, like last of us is able to sort of sell you on the experience of this very personal, emotional, visceral, grotesque, torturous experience. Cause it sells you from beat one. Mm-hmm. And I can say this all about a lot of a series. I mean, metal gear, you know, my beloved metal gear, metal gear, you know, touches on every sort of like thing you could ever experience as a person, whether it be deep philosophical thought, military autism experiences, like pissing your pants, laughing, like humor moments or, uh, yeah, I mean, those are like three pillars of metal gear. Um, but Mm -hmm. I think when a game sells you from beat one, and it commits to itself and creates a seamless, through-lined, well-crafted experience. I think, you know, magic happens and Portal 1 and 2 are beautiful examples of this. Uh, I mean, do you have any sort of closing thoughts on this sort of thing? Um, Yeah, I think I agree with everything you said. (laughs) Um, They sometimes the triple a titles will try to slap on some jokes on top of an already unbelievable world mm-hmm. and um, which is like glaringly obvious stupid things in them and uh only so many can pull it off i think fable one was decent uh sort of a lot of like just crass british humor in that one but yeah. i believe the world it was a cute game it, it was the first time i could actually have a gay romance in a video game <laughs> <laughs> which i loved um, I'm still pissed that I couldn't romance romance Rex in Mass Effect One. Um, <laughs> uh, but, I uh, hear that I hear that story a lot. <laughs> uh, it's either that or Garrus. I always hear people wanting that. I think you could romance Garrus in one of the later. You could gay romance him in a later game. I thought, but maybe I I'm can't, misremembering. I can't, I can't remember. I, I did see something. <laughs> I did see something funny on my timeline today about Mass Effect. It's like. Uh, being either the paragon or the hero route and it's just like hero route being monster fucker and evil route be- paragon route being racist um, <laughs> which you yeah. know it's i would say it's fairly true about mass effect but, but you know i i highly respect mass effect just you know off Same. topic like Ma- mass effect is a space opera oh, yeah. that takes you on a monumental experience and it's i don't know if we'll ever see that again uh, it feels very of that generation. Um, sure, they have peaks and valleys sort of thing, but I highly respect Mass Effect for what it accomplished and Same. how a science fiction role-playing game captured the zeitgeist, you know, from 2007 to 2013. Yep. Um, uh, Mass Effect 1 was <laughs> the only game that I've ever done this for, but I actually went into a... I wasn't 18 yet. And I asked a woman in a grocery store to buy it for me. I I <laughs> a guardian, and she did. She did. I said I. I asked her because I said I was buying it for my older brother for his birthday, and uh, I had sixty dollars, and she uh, she bought it for me. We love our random patron saint woman, women, just ready to buy a game for us. My angel, <laughs> <laughs> wherever she is now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a great way to segue in to the two games of tonight but first which the first one is portal this was a triumph 
making a note here, huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. You just keep on trying till you run out of cake. And the science gets done, and you make a neat plan for the people who are still alive. I'm not even angry. I'm being so sincere right now. Even though you broke my heart and killed me, and tore me to pieces and threw every piece into a fire. As they burned, it hurt because I was so happy for you. Now these points of data make a beautiful. Portal 1 uh, came out uh, it came out October 10, 2007 it was a part of the orange box which included Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 Episode 1 uh, Episode 2 and Team Fortress 2 Portal was a an experiment for Valve because it was a brand new IP being sandwiched you know, because Episode 2 and Team Fortress 2 were coming out alongside it, and these were two legacy franchises for Valve. Uh, people were more into those than this little IP that they were trying to sort of see if they could get an audience for. And Portal 1 has a fascinating story behind it, being that it was originally created by a bunch of college students by for their senior project. And then just so happenedly, one of the senior Valve employees uh, was there at their demonstration event. And they said, and he said to them, Hey, come to our offices to make a pitch. And they did. And Gabe Newell, the head of Valve uh, was on there and they presented this game, which at the time was called an Arbacular drop. And they presented it. And an hour into it, Gabe Newell offered them all jobs at Valve to make a, make this a game for them, which is like one of, if not the greatest, like stories you've ever heard in games. Just be a bunch of college students going to arguably one of, if not the most important game developers of that era or of all time, being handed jobs saying, hey, make this for us. And that's what happened, you know. Portal was made by 10 people at Valve. Very, very small team. And it's a very short game. You could beat it in like 90 minutes, especially if, you know, if you're if you're a seasoned player of games, like it's a very short experience, but it is in my eyes, one of the most memorable experiences I've ever played. I remember playing it 
on the orange box and just being captivated in a way that very few games have ever truly captivated me by like it's a it feels like a miracle that portal happened um so i greg i don't know what what is what do you think of the first portal i think portal i've never been more excited about a game than i was when i first saw that trailer it was just like the most interesting looking game i'd ever seen and i watching the trailer i thought this was like a game that will be mind bending and i couldn't wait for it to teach me how to think with portals you know at the end of the trailer it's like now you're thinking with portals yeah (laughs) and i thought i i um and i was i was pretty cocky back then still am i was like i bet i'm gonna be so good at this game and Mm -hmm. it's gonna be hard for people and i i wanted so badly i actually bought the orange box just to play portal and Mm -hmm. i think i owned the orange box for almost a year before i ever touched Mm half-life like i didn't i actually didn't play half-life 2 uh for a while because i was so scared of the zombies at the time (laughs) um because i thought you know i thought it was like basically a horror game and then once i did i fell in love with the whole half-life franchise but um Mm -hmm. yeah portal uh portal was just such a revelation to me it was so funny and yeah it's so so dark and lonely and kind of kind of creepy but uh it's that kind of horror in a way where um like it's really bright. It's it's creepy, but the lights are on. Sort of like when people describe Midsummer. Midsummer, mm-hmm. it's scary, but there's never darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Portal is such it's such a striking game. Like it, it, there's nothing else like it. It it combines. Yeah, it's a very timeless game because you know its aesthetic is wholly unique of itself in this sort of like corporate science scientific white walls padded cell look to it all and with you know these very clean futuristic and you know turret robots and different sort of bits and bobs that are part of the testing chambers uh i mean heck even you know the portal gun is you know it doesn't you know it's called the portal gun because it's you know a first person game but it's the portal gun is such literally one of the most iconic tools I've you've ever used in a game. It's so, I mean, it's so different. I mean, the fact that it opens, you know, with that sort of catchy, like radio song as you like wake up in your relaxation chamber and then you're introduced to GLaDOS uh, in her just, dry robotic tone that is like throwing in like bizarre like off-color jokes about like oh hey it's you know it's bring your daughter to work day and she can test uh Mm -hmm. you know and you know all that sort of stuff or you know uh there's my favorites is when she's like um when you finally get the second half of the portal device and it's like a the portal device is now worth more than all of the uh, combined organs in Subject Hometown here. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, you, I love you. Subject name here must be the pride <laughs> of Subject Hometown here. It's like, 
it, it's so yeah. masterful in the fact that like you know on the surface it's like well glados is just like oh a recording you know she's like a she's a robot you know she's like a microsoft sam type interface that's kind of just spitting off like things that you know they probably pre-recorded but then you like as you progress through the game you realize no glados is watching you every moment of the time and she's just like slowly peeling back the veneer of who she is as this very mm -hmm. dictator psychotic ai robot thing that all she wants to do is constantly test and it doesn't matter human life does not matter to her mm -hmm. all she wants is to test 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 on these people and it, it, in portal portal is like a master class of just like easing you into not only mechanics but also into world into you know a story it, it's you know there's so many, there's a reason why portal one is like the poster child for every video essay you've ever seen like everybody and anybody has dissected this game from its level design to its game design to its story to its meanings to its themes like portal is <laughs> the fact that it's an hour and a half game made by 10 people most of them are college students like fresh out of college out of digipen i think right yeah digipen they were they were Which digipen I consider game. going to because really I, was, I i wanted to go i wanted to make video games and when I started getting closer to college age, my parents were like, oh, you should go into computer science, mm -hmm. not video game production. So mm -hmm. I uh, went into CS and then I couldn't hack it because mm -hmm. I just was not nerdy enough to become a coder and went elsewhere. But um, yeah, anyway. It's, it, yeah, I mean. DigiPen. Yeah, did, yeah it, it's insane because, you know, games, most of the time when you hear about the development of a game usually it's these like seasoned veterans who had been making games for like a few years or you know they had been perfecting their craft for so long and then you hear that it's like most of these kids were just you know you know these these fresh-faced kids who just had a very solid idea and you know norbacular drop the original prototype of portal for all intents and purposes it was a prototype like even then they completely understood like so many granular details of the experience whether it be down to like how the physics work or to how teaching mechanics work all i mean all it was missing was like the valve flare which was the story you know hooking you into the experience you know yeah these college kids didn't know how to like write you know <laughs> they didn't know how to yeah. write <laughs> basically they were just they're just like, how do we make something so fundamentally sound? And I think that's why something like Portal, is, you know, people like to say Portal is one of the greatest gateways into gaming because it mm -hmm. it so effortlessly teaches you everything about how to interact with the medium that once you're on you're on board, then you get to experience all the little details you know especially glados like there's so many you know <laughs> back in the day everyone could only talk about the whole cake thing you know everyone you know the, the whole cake subplot 
of the game where it's just like, oh yeah, if you beat the game, you'll get cake, which is just a complete ruse the whole time. I never even, I even never even thought that that was that funny at the time. I was, mm-hmm. sort of, it, it made sense why that was the meme that stuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was so much funny material in the entire game that it was amusing to me that the cake is a lie was mm-hmm. the 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 piece that made it out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was very it ran its course and then it kept getting run through and the cake mm-hmm. line. I mean, I'm so it, glad they didn't take it into they didn't two. They, yeah, they didn't take it into two. Yeah, it, I think. I think uh, jumping back a tiny bit, I think so like puzzle platformers essentially are a tutorial, you know, cause they're just, they just need to teach you the mechanics that they want you te- to teach you. And then they want you to run through levels uh, and they want you to, you know, pull off the concepts that they just taught you and you ne- you need to make it interesting. So I think like that little team that was making Norbacular drop getting the access to valve the professionalism they have being like all right we're gonna have concept art we're gonna start looking at we're we're gonna look at you know reference material for inspiration we're gonna have i think at one point i i learned that uh valve had like a they they employed a psychologist or something on staff uh during the half-life production half-life 2 production who they would use to um like help them understand what emotion they're going to evoke in a player in, at a given moment or something. So, so like just having the vast resources to take this, you know, a, the idea of a puzzle platformer and then build out a whole world around it. So you kind of forget that you're just going through a tutorial that's teaching you new skills. Um, it just, it's just brilliant. And they pull it off in the, it, it feels like the most effortless way, but they yeah. put so much detail, well, you know, listen to the developer commentary on that one. They, they point out every single every single level they were like yeah well our play testers did this too much so we added this and they did this so we added this mm-hmm. uh it's i it's kind of almost meta to think that they had these test they had these testers their own chels that mm-hmm. they were sending through you know and watching them from an observation room and then making mm-hmm. a game about people who are testing mm-hmm. yeah it- the valve includes these like developer commentaries that are completely optional but they're such fascinating ways to learn about games because you hear it from the people who made it i mean and what i love too is you know the director of this one which was kim swift who was one of the original um narbacular drop group that pitched the game or you know got to show the game off to valve and you you really get to appreciate how many aspects of the game uh, that they had to think through, you know, especially with a small team. Like, I, I, I can't remember the exact thing she said, but um, it was something about, like, uh, like, hooking a player onto an experience and teaching them, teaching the mechanics, like, it's like this marriage that they had. It's like you teach fun, sound fundamentals and marry with, you know, great aesthetics and all that. Like that's what makes the magic happen. And if there was no, you know, if there was no GLaDOS or there was no aperture science, then probably it wouldn't be, it wouldn't hit the way it did Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And, you know, I think this is kind of like a magic point of portal is because, it was made mostly by college students. Like 
they thought through everything because more or less they're like being tested they're being pushed and you know when they first showed off portal back in the day it became you know you know for you for example you became interested in wanting the orange box for portal and a lot of people were like so it's like now you have to prove it yourself that like you can stand toe to toe with team fortress 2 and episode 2 like and I think this created just such a beautiful little crockpot of just like magic that happened. I mean, there there's so many little things. I mean, heck, you know, the companion cube, like when you get the companion cube for the first time is like such a beautiful moment because that's like, you know, it's literally just a cube with a heart mm -hmm. on it. And that's like your best friend, you know, in this like, sterile environment that's cold and uninviting and in many ways wants you dead and suddenly you know and the fact that you bond with this thing you think like oh yeah this thing's gonna come with me all the way to the end and you know the game's gonna reward me for having you know bringing the cube all the way to the end like with an achievement but it's like nope the game takes that away from you and it's uh -huh. just like uh heck even glados has a line it's like you were the fastest test subject to destroy yeah. your companion cube congratulations <laughs> it's such a it plays on this theme of loneliness in the game where she reminds you as soon as you get the companion cube with a little heart on it 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 does it really does trigger a, a fondness for it because the cubes you had before didn't have a little pink heart on it and oh, yeah. she goes she's like uh the weighted companion cube cannot speak in the event it does speak please disregard its advice you're, so then you begin thinking like wait is this thing actually sentient because i know that <laughs> she hints at the turrets being kind of smart or something so you, oh, yeah. you feel like wait wait is this thing is this going to have a bigger role and then at the end of that chamber yeah she has you euthanize it and uh it's just it's such a cute little detail yeah and there's so much it it's like a master class in subtlety like mm -hmm. It just it's these little things that add on in the story, but also in the gameplay as you progress through the game and you get new mechanics, you know, you're getting the the dual portal gun, you know, instead of, you know, when you start off, you just get the single the portal gun that only shoots the blue portals. Yeah. And then you get the dual portal gun. And then it's like, here's the energy balls and then having to learn how to manipulate portals with the energy ball, you know, the. I forget the proper term for it, but the field that destroys objects when you cross it or yeah, emancipation, yeah, uh, material emancipation, emancipation grill, yeah, which, it, which they use, they, they take every opportunity to make a joke, uh, which is something I appreciate about the writing team from this game is that every single thing is a joke. When you destroy the cameras, she's like, you know, um, please do not destroy the equipment uh, I can't remember what joke she makes out of it, but she, uh, when you step on a button, she goes, uh, the effects of prolonged exposure to the button are not part of this test. And so you're like, wait, is the button made of lead? Like what? Yeah. what's going on? It's... And when, when you go through the emancipation grill, she's like, please be advised that a noticeable taste of blood is not part of any test protocol. Um, <laughs> uh, but the emancipation grill may in semi-rare cases emancipate dental fillings, crowns, tooth enamel, and teeth. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah. It's, Every time there there is a chance for a joke, they uh -huh. they they go for it, and it just makes it oh so sweet. And I mean, especially because you know, Portal, you know, in the first game, you more or more or less only have Blados as your only sort of sentient being. And mm -hmm. I want to just sort of 
briefly touch on Ellen McLean, her performance as GLaDOS in both games. Like this is one of my favorite performances in a game. I mean, mm-hmm. Ellen McLean, who she's, you know, she was a constant regular at valve, like pretty much her main only, um, roles have been valve games like she she was uh she's been in half-life in like minor roles she was uh she's the administrator in tf2 uh she's the witch she's the voice of the witch in left for dead um and for more or less her career has just been like reprising glados like even heck she even makes a cameo in cyberpunk 2077 in a quest where one of the ais goes rampage and one of the and it like splits into seven seven different personalities and one of the personalities is glados so it's like but her performance is like the stuff of legends like the you know you know she's delivering these lines and these monotone very dry very upfront no sugarcoating no emotional lines for the most part but she really becomes this ai that you know is both like this corporate entity this sadistic psycho like ai that just only wants to test sort of thing she's a manipulator she's like all these like things and the fact that she's able to sell it with monotone i think is amazing i mean (laughs) there's a line in the first game where she's like uh She's like, we are pleased that you made it through the final challenge where we pretended that we were going to murder you. Like, I remember that line, uh, clear as day. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I mean, heck, the final boss, the final boss area against GLaDOS, every part of that, like, engagement is, like, <laughs> amazing. It's like, uh like when you t- take off the first core personality core of her, she's like, she's like delivering these like psychotic, like laughing. She's like, you know what that was? That was a personality core to dampen my, my, my uh, aggressive tendencies. And now I'll flood the room with deadly neurotoxin. Like, oh my God. That was, that's one of the most memorable lines for me is uh, this is a, a great example of repetition humor when she's like, I remembered what that core did. Uh, it was installed after I floated the enrichment center with a deadly neurotoxin to make me stop flooding the enrichment center with a deadly neurotoxin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, deadly. It's neuro- such a simple joke, but repeating that whole phrase. Yeah, it, the the constant, like especially when she starts to lose, like you know, Glados has the air of control over the whole building. Mm-hmm. So, like once you take her control away. And she goes into these repetitious, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Lines. Like, like it's amazing. It's like, it's like, did you just toss that aperture science thing? We don't know what it does into the <laughs> aperture science emergency intelligence incinerator. <laughs> that has to be the dumbest thing that whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, yeah, she the the way that she uses the full proper name for everything <laughs> is just just reminds you that she's a machine and she can't shortcut stuff by being like. Did you just put that thing? She has to say the aperture science yeah. enrichment center piece of equipment. Yeah, it, it, it reinforces the whole like that sort of like 
office business environment mm-hmm. that aperture science as a whole is at it on paper like yeah. even glados who is this omnipresent hal 9000-esque being that controls every minutia of the facility especially when like portal 2 when you realize how massive this place is like you know you think she has everything thought out but like in reality no she's like hang you know it's all surface level veneer she puts on and it's like once the control is taken away she you really see you really see that character shine and that sort of just like dark humor that the game is just dripping with just come to fruition it's just like you know <laughs> I, I I have like a page full of quotes that she says and it's like when you destroy the third core she's like neurotoxin <laughs> so deadly <laughs> choking <laughs> I'm kidding it's like <laughs> like there's such a ah like you know this was written this game was written by Eric Wolpaul and Chet Falashek who were responsible for a lot of the latter valve games like the you know half-life episodes left for dead all that sort of stuff and i think i think you know portal i think in in including portal 2 i think is probably their best work at least for me like you really get to see them play around with the sort of framework that what portal is like because they basically had the game structure planned out in terms of a game, they had like a carte blanche. We can do what we want to frame this all. And so you, you yeah. it really does feel like everything is thought out. Yeah. I think the, the major limitations of the whole thing, because they only had like what, 10 devs. Yeah. They like, I think two they, years, I think they said, yeah, they only had 10 people working on the game pretty much through its most of its development. And most of those people were the DigiPen students. Like, uh, Walpole and Falashek, um were like the sort of a few of the mainstay Valve people that were helping out with them, and also like Kelly Bailey on the soundtrack, who had been you know, and uh, who had been doing the sound, you know, the music and the sound design of every Valve game to up that point. Like those, pretty much those three and then also mike moraski who also helped out with the soundtrack like i think those were pretty much the only people who were like valve employees that were helping out with this game and you were right also too they only had like two years to make this yeah so the constraints that they were under we know like in the creative world constraints uh really harbor creativity and uh there's a there's a writing exercise that I've done with uh, myself and and I've 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 uh, done this little workshop a few times where I help people. Um, you just basically just get a list of suggestions and uh, prompts that you have to stick to, and then you generate a um, like a format that you have to write it in. So you you come up with like okay, write this in the form of like a breakup text using mm-hmm. this idea. And so with you, when you have such tight constraints, you're like, okay, I know the format I have to write it in. Um, you, you, 
it lets your mind wander uh, to fill. It's like a gas filling up the edges of the room completely when it's released. Would you say the uh, gas is deadly neurotoxin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, that's that's. Uh, I wish that. Yeah, that's that's what happened with Portal. Is they just they really poured creativity into every aspect of the limited, you know, handful of hours that it takes to to finish it and make yeah. everything interesting. And we haven't even touched on the. Um, like the the rat man oh yeah aspect. yeah but that's i feel such like a nice little touch yeah that's such a great way to like signal to the player that there's something more nefarious going on and in many in most cases it's, it's like optional you could completely miss the rat man mm-hmm. uh drawings uh throughout the le- the game and i think it just really builds out in a, in a very valve way where it's not signaling to you up front what's going on it requires you to sort of absorb your environment which is something valve does flawlessly is environmental storytelling you know half-life has it in spades uh left even you know even left for dead or heck i would even put in like team fortress 2 in that category but you know it's a multiplayer game but it still is able to convey a world and environment just through its setting and any little finer minute details that it has i mean there's, there really is a lot to be said about this game. It's it's really a magic moment in the industry where a bunch of very creative people, young people, were given the chance of a lifetime by arguably one of the most important people in the industry, Gabe Newell, and were allowed to do what they wanted. And they gave them a vehicle, you know, the orange box. You know, they gave them a vehicle to be accepted widely through the masses through this amazing product the orange box is one of the best things ever to happen in gaming mm-hmm. you know it makes me wish that we got more of these from valve but alas what can you do um right why i guess is, why the orange box you know like what would the next one be named the, the yellow box? Color box i guess so i mean i I don't know why it was called the orange box, to be honest. Um, well, I guess the orange portal, the orange HEV suit, and the... Well, T-Fortress 2 doesn't even have orange, really. It's yeah. red and blue. So I don't know. <laughs> it's such, it's a Valve thing, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I, I think to wrap up the talk on Portal, I mean, for one, play it. It's on... I mean, if you have an Xbox 360, I mean, heck any laptop made from like 2010 onward can play this even you know if you have a mac it's on mac it's on pc it's on ps3 heck even the ps3 which i don't recommend this version it's the worst version but whatever uh you know you could or it's on the switch they recently ported it to the switch uh there's also if you have a really beefy pc um you can play portal with RTX rate the ray tracing update for portal. Uh, but I, that's all. I did my replay through with RTX. It was pretty that's, delicious. That's like wild to see like ray tracing is a, I it's a very meme thing, but honestly for portal, it's a completely transformative experience. It, it really feels like the, it looks like the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts on Portal, uh, Greg. 
No, just play it. It's yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best hour and a half you can ever have with a game. So I think that takes us to the final game, which is Portal 2. Well, here we are again. It's always such a pleasure. Remember when you tried to kill me twice? Oh, how we laughed and laughed, except I wasn't laughing. Under the circumstances, I've been shockingly nice. You want your freedom? wild is the portal 2 playthrough in the background this person beat the game in two and a half hours and they are on the segment where the gels get introduced i'm just like that's insane like i don't think i've beaten the game portal 2 that fast i know you can especially if you know what you're doing yeah uh, that does but... just seem way too fast. <laughs> it does. Like, I, thought, I remember it being like an eight-hour game. It, it is. I, uh, the the website Time to Beat says the average time to beat Portal is eight and a half hours. Yeah, that sounds uh, about right. Even getting that down to half. Yeah, that that's an a crazy. That's an accomplishment. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, and I love that part of the game, like the whole going to the belly of the beast sort of thing mm -hmm. um but yeah i think uh portal 2 came out april 18th 2011 uh you know this game i i remember this i remember the hype for this game too i remember when valve was like teasing it where they updated the pc version of portal to have like these morse code radio transmissions that you had to decipher that basically said glados is like rebooting or something uh then they updated the ending of portal one on pc to where you see chell getting dragged back to aperture science and then you know they they reveal it and everything and there's all this hype i i remember when gabe newell was like trotted out on stage at sony's e3 press conference in 2010 more or less saying uh i'm sorry that i said the ps3 was a pile of shit uh sony is definitely not holding me hostage right now uh to make this version of the game the best one um but yeah i mean this was a very exciting time to be like invested in a game's release cycle and i remember too this one because this came out i don't know if you remember this but this came out during the playstation network hack of 2011 
Um, oh. Where 78 million PSN users information was leaked and PlayStation Network was down for a month. Uh, so, and this game came out right when that happened. And, you know, and Portal 2 has a co-op mode, so it's like you couldn't play the co-op, so you were just stuck in the single-player mode. And, you know, I was just like, fine by me. I, I came here for the single-player primarily. Um, yeah, I just remember having a vivid memory of the PlayStation Network hack of 2011. That was like a wild... That was a wild month wow. for game. <laughs> yeah, I that wasn't super on my radar because I was an Xbox uh, slash. I think I had I bought a, I might have bought a PC at that point too. So I think I played Portal Two on computer. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly, but uh, yeah, I got. I think I played it on PC or something because um, mm-hmm. I remember playing with a roommate and we played through the um, multiplayer together and what a what a great bonding experience that can be if if you get along with the person you're playing with <laughs> this co-op mode i you know it didn't happen for me but i've heard how the co-op mode uh was a friendship tester mm-hmm. uh very you know very fitting for a game all about testing um yeah i mean this this is actually gabe newell's favorite game that he's been a part of like the favorite game that valve has made which is pretty impressive considering, you know, the literal like mountain of gold that Valve has made in the almost 30 years of their existence. Um, but yeah, I mean, it basically just elevates every aspect of the first game even higher. I mean, there's the story feels much more grand and thought out. Not to say that the first game wasn't thought out, but it's just like, there's a clear like beginning, middle, and end. There's you go on a journey, so to say. You know, you start from the remains of Aperture Science, which, by the way, the, the game takes place fifty thousand years, I think, after the first game, if I remember my lore correctly. Uh, like where Chell gets placed into like basically, you know, cryostasis more or less, and you know she wakes up fifty thousand years in the future when basically humanity is not really even a consideration and she's just woken up again and she starts testing and then you know glados comes back to life uh, and you have to deal with a lovely bumbling idiot wheatley voiced by stephen merchant uh from the office the british office uh and then yeah i mean what are you know what are your thoughts on portal 2 um well, well said so far. Um, my first thought when I started Portal 2 was that it felt like a just like an incredible physics showcase because that whole opening number where you're being smashed through the walls and there's so, oh, many, yeah. so many like particles and pieces happening. I thought like, holy shit, how did they how did they make this happen in their physics engine? Oh yeah. Um, it's source, a, it's a, the, the source yeah, engine is magic. <laughs> it is. I, I, overall, it's way messier and lusher compared to the first game. Um, so the first game is very clean, and they were very careful about um, drawing your eye to certain areas with you know shapes and color. The second game is just a lot more cluttered and organic, um, for better and for worse. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it felt like a totally different game. Um, in some ways, because it was it was a much grander adventure 
and there were even there were like little hints of it being kind of uh kind of weird like they had this they had this weird thing where you could buy outfits for your character in the multiplayer game yeah um, with microtransactions and that that to me said i'm pretty sure valve was just they were just test they 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 just used that game as a test to test out microtransactions so that they could use that in future games or something or maybe it was almost like a a little joke because <laughs> it, it just it, didn't make sense it in could. a two player game i mean that was the time when they i think this was I'm trying to remember my valve timeline this was either after or right when team fortress 2 went free to play and when they introduced infamously hats the hats into team mm-hmm. fortress 2 where they started like saying oh hey you can buy these cosmetic things for like 99 cents or you can trade them all this stuff and they were introducing into counter-strike global offensive and so portal 2 because there was a multiplayer aspect to it um it got that too which was very strange right. yeah, i mean portal 2 i think i I really do think this is it's a perfect game for me, you know, and I, I know some people have their issues with it. I think they, I think mostly the issues stem from Wheatley um, Mm. because he is Wheatley is a very, you either love him or you hate him character. Um, And I think it's mostly because of just how they wrote it because they wrote it in in mind for Stephen Merchant to perform, um, and I think it works out because he counteracts and he counteracts Glados perfectly. Where Glados is a cold, calculated, for all intents and pur- purposes, a murdering machine, and Wheatley uh, has no idea what's going on and constantly is freaking out the entire time, and you. The player you and you as Chell, you know this mute protagonist kind of is in stuck in the middle of it all you know i think it's a i think it is it divulges into a lot more kind of cold and off-putting elements than the first game i mean it really fleshes out glados her history and her sort of deeper inner workings as a as an ai as a sort of ruler of the estate and i really you really come to like attach yourself to her and then but it still has this air of dread attached to the whole experience i mean the whole the 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 middle section of the game where you go into the the, you know the beginnings of the of the company when you go down to the 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 50s 60s 70s eras of the company and you have the cave johnson radio monologues playing overhead as you're going through it these abandoned desolate vintage uh areas of the facility and it still has this air of just like very off-putting very very drab very just like sad areas of the game like getting to experience cave johnson's eventual death at the hands of his own sort of ambitions and you see like glados kind of like realizing who she is this sort of weird humanity inside of her and you know at the end of the game she's like 
wow, it felt good to actually save you and all this stuff. Well, I'm deleting that part of myself and I want you the fuck out of here. You're, you're, you cause me nothing but trouble. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I really do love Portal 2. I know some people don't. And I, and, and I can understand that. I can understand why people are. I aren't. can understand too. But it was, it was awesome. I think mm-hmm. it, um, it was a different experience from the first one, but it, it just really fleshed out the world and expanded. You know, they couldn't have made a sequel without adding more characters. And I think they pulled it off um, really well. Oh, yeah. The, I liked Wheatley. I think he had so many. It, it was an it was opportunity for the writing team to really explore a different um, a different note on a lot of humor. Like there's a moment when he's hacking a door and he's like, "Could you turn around? And, like, don't, <laughs> don't watch me. I can't I can't do it when you watch." And as a, as a person who has a shy bladder, that joke spoke to me so directly. It's like I can't do it when you watch, and so you have to physically turn around while he does it, and he does it instantly as soon as you turn around. He hacks the door. Um, but he, there are so many moments like that where, and he even, he even recur, uh, picks up on it. He like makes fun of your weight. I can't remember the line, but he makes, makes fun of your weight again. Like GLaDOS did in the first game. Oh yeah. <laughs> Portal two has some great, like, I mean, GLaDOS just like constantly will just like, which apparently in the earlier versions of the game, she was way harsher. About yeah. And they just had to tone every- it down. Yeah. Cause they thought the play testers are like, yeah, I don't care if I. Why do I care if I have to carry her around for like a third of the game? I don't care. She was like, uh, uh, like she was being such a cold-hearted bitch to me. <laughs> like, there's the line uh, earlier in the game. She's like, "Look at you sailing through the air majestically, like an eagle piloting a blimp." <laughs> it's like, uh, like there's so many just great like just sticking the knife in you sort of lines her. It's like, here comes the test results. You are a horrible person. We weren't even testing for that. (laughs) Like uh, there, there's so this game really is just like another sort of like for all the, the three main actors, you know, Stephen Merchant, Ellen McLean and JK Simmons, like they all shine so brightly, like they all, and they all have their moments too, where they get to just like really put it out there. I mean, Ellen McLean's pretty much the entire game is like, you know, when she's talking, it's like, I'm sitting my, my white ass down and listening. (sighs) And then, you know, Cave Johnson with JK Simmons, it's like every chance he gets to make an announcement. It's just like, I, I think of the one in line. She's like, he's like, uh, you know, you might be wondering, you know, uh, why you're here. You know, we we're paying you $60, which is more than a lot of money that you were making sitting out on the bench outside. Like, yeah. At one point he, he goes, uh, he's like, well, if you do this other way, you know, you can get another $60, put that in your bindle. Yeah. <laughs> it, he, he's like such a, like over the top stereotype of just this entrepreneur businessman at the top, at the time. And JK Simmons, you know, he delivers it with like a hundred percent gusto. I mean, he's giving J. Jonah Jameson from the Spider-Man yes. movies. That's like his delivery, and it's like perfect. It's perfect for just of you know, it's pretty much a voice. You don't see him, you know, in the room. You just see like paintings of him ominously watching you, and you just like imagine what this person could have been like in the room, uh, recording all these. 
he's like uh you know when he's like talking about carolyn uh his assistant he's like don't you know fellas don't worry about it you know uh she's charming isn't she but she's already married to science it's like goes, it's so say hi carolyn she goes hi, hi carolyn, carolyn. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so corny but it's like all right I, like and that's like the first time you hear him and you're already sold like it's just like yeah. and it pays off on this idea of um like what kind of people would become glados and mm-hmm. when you hear him and his just commitment to testing and science and ignoring side effects, you know, like you hear him start to come down with the illness from exposure to the moon dust panels or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's like, Oh, whatever, uh, you know, we're going to keep this going. And the, the way that he gets turned, you know, him and Carolyn or whatever, I get, I guess, get turned into GLaDOS. It, it makes so much sense. And it's so rewarding to gamers who are familiar with the first game. Yeah. He- Portal 2 more or less is like a big vehicle and it, it feels very like letting people get to know the singular character of the first game even more like GLaDOS on her own in the first game was already like perfect but getting to like know more about this AI that has been designed to run the building pi- you know pilot uh, the plane as you know there's no one really run, you know, working there anymore. It's just robots and AI is just all controlling the scenes. And you really get a sense of like who she was or who she is deep down. And I, I do, I do really like that, you know, that whole gameplay segment, you know, the, pretty much from the second, like after the first third of the game, you know, when you get down to the bottom and then you get to the end of the game before, you know, you really get to understand her and in in many ways you get to respect her that she genuinely cares about, you know, running aperture science, running these tests, running all these things, you know, at the core of it, like you, you can't side with her fully 100% because she wants you dead. Like, you know, she wants you dead, but you can at least understand that she's like this sort of, you know, unstoppable force that will, continue to do what she knows how to do best and in many ways it's like you know putting your differences aside to help this potato like get to her goal and might i say like the the back and forth that she and wheatley have are just like you know it's like like, great like i think of the where she tries to like shut down wheatley with the paradox question Mm-hmm. And she's like, but he's too stupid for it to yeah, work he, on him. <laughs> as she said, he was designed to be the greatest moron ever to have existed. And she's like, this sentence is false. And she's like, don't think about it. Don't think about it. And she's like, well, uh, I'll go with true on that one. It's like, it, <laughs> that's a there. That's the thing. There is no answer. You have to let me run. And he's like, uh, no, that's false. And it's like, she like literally. Uh, can't stand his existence as a whole like it's such just like a beautiful like bickering couple sort of thing and they just have so many great i mean to go back on the the eagle piloting a blimp because i love that that chamber it's just like where you get the aerial faith plates which great another great name aerial faith plates which are just like those jump pads right and she's just like, huh, you, this plate is not calibrated to someone of your 
generousness. I'll <laughs> add a few zeros to the maximum weight. You look great, by the way. Very healthy. It's right. Like, uh, I remember that portion. She keeps she has to calibrate it like what two or three times because she keeps calling you fat. Yeah. And, she... <laughs> and then later Wheatley picks that up when he's like, um, he's like, oh, he says something about uh oh, just 10 pounds of dead weight, about to be 210 fatty. <laughs> Yeah, he 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 clearly remembers that part of the game, but he has no grace or no like biting edge to yeah. it all. It, it makes you think that there was something in Glados's programming that was like anti-fat. <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she her programmers were fat phobic, or Caroline was, or something. So yeah, it's Car- It's the you know, and that, when she becomes a potato, like you get that Carolyn aspect of her inside, and it's a really wonderful thing that like deep down her there's there was a part of her meant to be like in a you know to be carolyn to be this very upfront very you know very uh you know just well put together very kind yeah nurturing mother figure it's like uh yeah like that scene um where wheatley is just like he's like uh yeah, you you were adopted, and that's just horrible. And she's like, "What exactly is wrong with being adopted?" <laughs> oh, right. It's she's like, like starts to defend you, and you're like, yeah. "Oh wow!" She yeah, really like... goes from in, <laughs> yep. in the like Jungian archetypes, whatever. She goes from being like the evil witch to being the good mother at the end of it, or whatever, or the 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 good wit, uh, the good queen, or something. And Wheatley transitions from like the bumbling fool to the the evil king, or something. It's it's such a fast, fascinating character arc for both of them. Yeah, I mean, another part of that scene too. I just when she's like, Please. she's like, also look at her, you moron. She's not fat. It's like, <laughs> it's this great just journey she goes on. Like, and you know the fact that you know Valve games minus Team Fortress Two and Left in Left for Dead, like Half Life, and it fits too because Portal fits in the Half Life universe. They you know, Portal and Half-Life are in the same universe. So it's like, you know, Chell being a silent protagonist, you know, you know, being a vehicle for you, you know, it's a great way to just sort of like take, to imagine what, you know, you would be like in that situation as Chell, you know, being the sort of omnipresent character that is just absorbing this arguably very disturbing and very, cold and very harsh world that you're inhabiting of robots who are just like picking apart your entire flaws and trying to more or less just break you psychologically and also just trying to kill you like chell is such a great vehicle for that and you know all these just wonderful 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 moments it's like oh man like another great moment (laughs) is when the the chapter nine uh the the part where he kills you which is like such a brief moment and it's very silly but like it's like uh uh or she's like well this is the part where he kills us and then wheatley's like this is the part where i kill you and then the chapter title is like the part where he kills you and then there's an achievement says the part where he kills you (laughs) it's it's so silly but oh my god i i there's so many moments where i just want to gush about this game like I love that the final boss is kind of like a weird invert, like kind of like a 
kind of like a sort of different take on the boss fight from the first game in a way where it's like you're trying to instead of removing personality cores from GLaDOS, it's putting personality cores on Wheatley, which by the way, those personality cores are hilarious. Yeah. Uh, the one who, obviously there's the one who's babbling about space. There's the one who's like the cowboy, uh, rough, gruff, tough dude. Who's just like trying to woo you. There's the, there's a third, I forget what the third one is like, but I love that like they're kind of like mirror images of each other. I love that the final third of the game is like um, Wheatley because he's a moron. He can't build test rooms. So he's just like crashing unused test rooms into like frame. He's like, all right, I just combine these two, try to figure it out. Yeah. I remember that moment where he has you go through the first chamber and then he's like, wait, what if I just had you go through this one again? And uh, you just do that while I watch you. It gives you this little weird little voyeur moment where he's like, you realize he gets pleasure from watching you test. Oh and yeah. The second, the second time around doing it, this doing the same test a second time, he's like, oh, it, that doesn't get me off. So I got to do something else. So you're like, oh, now I'm dealing with like a sex addict. <laughs> he's like, he has to be coming like... from you doing his test, but he's not good at the test. So you're really dealing with like a, <laughs> like his erectile dysfunction in a way, his failure <laughs> to create test chambers. Yeah. And then also the fact that he can't, if he, if any of the AI try to help you, they get like, they get like they're assault. Pain. Yeah, they get the pain uh, from it too. It's such this great, like, it's such it's such a brief, they're brief little moments, but they're great just insights to like these like very multifaceted, just like hu- they're, these AI who are, they're robots, but they're clearly like human humanoid in the way they behave. They get pleasure from, of course, like robots get pleasure from testing and robots can't help you or else they like get told that like that's a, that's against your protocol sort of thing and they get punished for it. It's it's so it's it dips its toes a little bit into sort of these like psychosexual type things and it's like completely out there and it's never mentioned again. But I love that little detail that they add to it that just is like the little spice of magic that like this game has uh man i just i just want to gush about this game so much it's <laughs> it, it really is something to behold I mean, you know and portal 2 is coming from the way portal 2 is like the creation um of the valve way the valve way of making games which it's it's an open secret about Valve is that they don't have their desks have wheels. So if someone gets, if some people get interested in an idea, they can wheel their desk over to someone and they can start working and building ideas together. It's like, so and Gabe Newell says, you don't have to be stuck on one project. You are free to do what you please. And, you know, this is before when Valve stopped primarily making games or you know when they stopped making games as like their main goal as a developer and they shifted to more service aspects like with steam or the esports stuff with csgo and dota you know portal 2 really does feel like a moment when 
a bunch of people at that studio came together because they wanted to do better. They wanted to deliver on what fans wanted in a sequel. And you really do feel that. And you get a lot of it too, when you read about sort of the, the stuff that didn't even make it into the game or the ideas that they had in mind, like, you know, they, there's uh they said how like they wanted the game to be like a hub world where it's like, you get to pick where you go in the, in the game or they thought about, you know, the fact that like multiplayer was a very early concept or, um, there was a cut content that they had where you could actually there were secret die like death endings uh depending on like special situations and they would have an original song that would play for these unique situations so like they had they had an ending for the game that you could die in the first two minutes and then the game would just reflect on the two minutes you played um and you know that was just something that they threw out there you know valve you know that's sort of the magic of valve is that there there is no creative restrictions to what they can do what they can make and you really do feel it in this game i mean we haven't really mentioned even the co-op granted i don't think there's a lot to dissect about the co-op per se other than that it's mind-bending it could be pretty difficult yeah the and it's also a great griefing simulator just fucking with your friend uh you know, because once you introduce a second portal gun, it becomes madness. Um, yeah, I mean, there's that multiplayer aspect. The there's all the sort of there's all the single player content. There's also like the fan creations, all that sort of stuff. And Portal Two, you know, it's this very dark and haunting experience. You know, as you go through it, being exposed to these like insane AI constructs. And then it op- it ends on a very, very beautiful note that's also kind of, it has that edge of creepiness, the, the turret opera that like sings you as you get the fuck out of there where they're just like, we don't want this human in here anymore. Go and leave us. And you have this opera sung by turrets and the opera sung by Ellen McLean because she's an opera singer too because she can do everything. She's a queen. Um, and portal 2 really does feel like a definitive singular experience like this is the one time where i'm like i don't need a portal 3 you know it's like people always say like they want team fortress 3 or half-life 3 um stuff like that or left for dead 3 portal 2 feels perfectly that is where it ends and i it's it's a beautiful moment it's a very it's kind of somber knowing that that was like the last major single player game for a long time that valve made before half-life alex i mean i think it's a wonderful at the time it was a wonderful send-off to valve as a pioneer and innovator of the industry i mean there's (laughs) portal as a whole oh another thing we forgot to mention the songs the credit songs how can you forget still alive I mean, I was such a I was such a little geek when Portal One came out that I burned Still Alive onto a CD and I would listen to it in my car. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, what's his name, Jonathan, um, the the guy who wrote the Still Alive song, and then Want You Gone in the second game. I forget his name. 
it's Jonathan. What is his name? I'm blanking on it, but like he had these like nerdy sort of uh, Jonathan Colton. Um, was it Jonathan? I, regardless, like, um, you know, these two songs, they felt very like, oh, they're gamery songs. Like these like songs that are like reflecting on the journey that you went through. And they're so infectiously catchy. Like I can, I can hear still alive playing in my head. I can hear want you gone playing in my head. And uh, man, I love those songs so much. I can just, I could, I can manifest them in my head. Yeah. That um, especially the first song still alive stuck in my brain that I think portal was a fundamental building block informing my sense of humor. Just the, yes. um, you know, even though you broke my heart, heart and killed me, me. just that, <laughs> that combination of, of um, like weird lovey dovey with macabre, <laughs> humor, you know, cause I, I still feel like I, like it echoes of Gladys when people will say something. And my first response is like, you know, and they're like, oh, well, at least you're not dead. And I'm like, I wish I was, it, it feels <laughs> like that. It feels like that little bit of dark portal humor coming out that, that, memory that core cornerstone memory as westworld says or whatever yeah um, that, it, uh, formed when i was in my late teens yeah no i mean though i remember too oh yeah so i did look it up it is jonathan colton uh who wrote Got these it. songs um and i remember this too because he wrote the theme song to a very short-lived uh tv show on uh, uh what was it I'm trying to remember the uh, G4, G4, um, Code Monkeys. Oh, yeah. I remember that that was, even though it's like a trashy, I don't know if people would consider it good. I love that show still. It was such like a show made for me. Uh, you know, uh, like he made a song, he made the theme song for that. Um, but yeah, I, I love that Still Alive and Want You Gone still, like they don't, it's the credit song, but they still have a way to keep delivering like little punchlines and jokes in it all. And I think portal one and portal two are just genuinely like delights to play. You know, you get to experience so much through these experiences. You get this sort of, like you were saying earlier, horror in light, uh, very unnerving, cold, lonely, somber experiences mixed together with genuinely funny off-putting moments that like disarm you and make you realize the sort of journey that you are going on. And I, you know, I think if to, to wrap this all up, I mean, portal one and two, I'm like looking at the playthrough. Oh, they're, they're at that puzzle. I remember that puzzle. Um, portal one and two are just very special games to me. They're, they're very, they came out when I was getting really into the medium. And I think they are both showcases of what the medium can do. They showcase what comedy can be accomplished in the medium. I think they're textbooks, examples of game design, level design. I think they're great world building showcases. I mean, they really do it all. They, the portal wanted to are like the Jack of all trades, the Swiss army knife of video games. I mean, I, do you have any closing thoughts on Portal? I think I think you summed it up. There's not much of it I can add. Um, to quote Portal 2, this is art. When you hear the buzzer, stare at the art. 
<laughs> oh my god. Oh, that, it, that's a that's it, a great... <laughs> the games are just art and you gotta play them. They're fundamental games in any real gamers catalog. Uh, to mention too, I love that in that tutorial when we Wheatley's just like if you understand what I'm saying, say yes. And it's just the prompt is jump, press the X button to say yes. And it's just your jump button. Yep. It's like, okay, <laughs> um, well, you jumped. <laughs> uh, say Apple, say Apple. And he's, and it's just the same thing. And he's like, oh, good enough. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Just, just play these, play these masterpiece games. I mean, what else can be said? I guess, you know, I guess to, to have, fun with portals have fun with portals now you're thinking with portals <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i think that is where we will call it for the recording <laughs> <laughs>